please do take out your Bibles once again and join me in turning to Psalm 56. Psalm chapter 56. One thing that's good about um, going sequentially in Psalms is you know where you're headed next week. Yeah, it takes a little bit of decision making um, out. We are here now in week three of our regular ongoing summer series, seeing all of life as worship through the Psalms. I want to begin um, not with prayer, um, as is our usual thing. We'll get there in just a moment. But I want to begin with a question. Um, What's your response when you hear these two words in close proximity? What's your response when you hear these two words fairly close together? Fear and faith. Fear and faith. I think we've all seen the t-shirts. We've all seen the posters. We've heard people say, faith over fear. Faith, not fear. No fear. Only faith. Now that all sounds really simple. But are they accurate? Is it all or nothing? Is it one or the other? Is there anything in between? Now here's a proposal. You've heard this before. There is a tension in Scripture. And we see that here in Psalm 56. Uh, Look with me just at verse 3. The first part of verse 3. When I am afraid. And then right there in verse 4. I shall not be afraid. When I am afraid, I shall not be afraid. That's a tension. Uh, That's a paradox. Uh, Which is it? I am afraid. I am not afraid. Simultaneously afraid and not afraid. Fearful and not fearful. John Calvin says of this psalm, there is a, quote, strenuous contest, end quote, in the heart of David, in the heart of the people. A strenuous contest between fear and faith. Uh, Centuries later, a man exclaims to Jesus that he both believes and doesn't believe. Now, almost 1,500 years later, the reformer Martin Luther says in, in understanding Scripture that the Christian is simultaneously just and sinful. I uh, haven't practiced Latin, but some of you know it. Uh, Simul, just et peccator, something like that. The Christian is simultaneously just and sinful. And just a few decades ago, uh, Jack Miller, Presbyterian pastor, former professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, said the Bible can be summed up in two sentences. First, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. And second, cheer up. God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. And some have rightly adapted and modified that expression to say something to the effect that cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Cheer up. You're a lot more loved than you could believe. You're worse than you think you are. You're more loved than you think you are. 
simultaneously, in close proximity. Now, Psalm 56 will will help us address fear and faith in the life of a Christian by helping us both recognize the tension and live within the tension. For as Paul writes to the church in Rome, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 56. We thank you for it being written and preserved for us, for our instruction. Father, be pleased to use your word as applied by your Holy Spirit to help us both be encouraged, but also be strengthened to endure and help us to remember that Your word points us to Jesus, and in Jesus we have a sure and certain hope, for we pray in his name. Amen. The Psalms, and Psalm 56 is no exception. It's a part of corporate worship. It's a part of all of life worship. Psalm 56, like all of them, will be both familiar to us and unfamiliar, familiar and foreign All of the Psalms are diverse, and yet they're unified because they center on the one true and living God. They all express so very well the divine human encounter. And when we read the Psalms, not just as we would read any book, not just as we would recognize the Bible as literature, when we read the Psalms with faith, we come away not just informed. Not just with more knowledge, but by the powerful working of God's Spirit, we come away transformed. We are changed. We're not left the same. You see, using psalms in worship helps reorient us and realign us. It it helps to move us all away from our idols and to God and to worship Him with the motive and the manner that he declares and demands. The Psalms do that. The Psalms, Psalm 56, it's a treasure, a precious treasure for the church and for each and every one of us. Luther says the Psalms are a little Bible. Calvin reminds us that the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul because the Psalms are a great help in both prayer, that is asking to God, Asking God, but also in praise, giving to God. The Psalms give us words to speak when we desire to pray to God and when we desire to praise God. The Psalms, you see, give us a language to express ourselves to God. And we see that once again here in Psalm 56. In my um, note that went out on Saturday preparing for worship, I, I characterized Psalm 56 Firstly, as a psalm of lament. But as I worked my way through it, I saw it also as a psalm of confidence as well. Lament and confidence. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, the historical background is not absolutely certain. But we think it has something to do with um, the time that David was being pursued by Saul. He was hiding, trying to find refuge in all places in Gath. The hometown of Goliath. Now, that David should seek to find refuge 
shows both David's courage and his despair. In fact, Derek Kidner, a commentator, says of this, that in Psalm 56, we see the courage of despair. The courage of despair. And as we will read and reflect upon, David is in an absolutely desperate crisis. You know, I often laugh when I hear somebody say, oh yeah, it was a minor crisis, right? Isn't by definition a crisis a big deal? It's a crisis. Here, it is an absolutely desperate crisis, as I think we will hear and understand. So the title asks us a question, the title of the sermon. What is the relationship between fear and faith in the life of a Christian? Psalm 56 here will help us answer that question. Uh, Join with me as I read Psalm 56, and I'll begin with the inscription, the title. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Tenebeth, a mictam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Well, our approach to Psalm 56 will be to ask a few questions of the text. First, what is David afraid of and why? And second, who does David trust and why? In other words, we're going to open up and examine fear and faith. In view of God's word being living and active, we're also going to see that the text asks us a few questions along the way as well. So really, there's just two sections. What is David afraid of and why? And who does David trust and why? So first... Let's consider what is David afraid of and why? Look at the first bookend, the first part of verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, O God. It's a request for favor. Several translations say be gracious. Some translations say 
be merciful. David is not asking God to do him a favor. I'd like you to do a favor. No, he's not asking. He's rather asking God to show him favor. Who's, God, who, who's David praying to? He's praying to the one who in Exodus 34 revealed himself like this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Abounding in steadfast love. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. It's, it's no wonder then that translators can, can land on God be gracious to me. God, be merciful to me. Why is he requesting God's favor? Why is he requesting God's grace? Why is he requesting God's mercy? He's afraid. He needs something. He is afraid. And what is he afraid of? He's afraid of being harmed at the hands of of an enemy. He's afraid of the actions of man. He's afraid of physical attack, that man can have evil deeds that hurt and harm to the point of ending life, physical life. He, he's afraid of the actions of men, the physical harm that he could come to, but he's also afraid of words, in particular of false accusations, as we will see. Listen, listen to some of these words. Man tramples on me. An attacker oppresses me. Again, enemies trample on me, attack me, injure my cause, are against me for evil, stir up strife, lurk, watch my steps. They've waited for my life. How would you characterize David's circumstance right now? What is going on around David? Well, here's a great way to, to, to summarize it. David is hated and hunted. Hated and hunted. It's a terrible predicament. I couldn't help but when I'm reading this language, you know, we have a mind's eye, right? We're reading this, but we're also imagining what it's what's what it looks like in Gath. What what you know, I I, I imagined the madman when we heard first Samuel twenty-five. We're 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 imagining in our minds and and I couldn't help but think of TV or movies. Okay, if you don't believe in TV movies, how about short stories or novels, right? People are on the run. People are chasing people. There is prey and there is predator. I don't know about you. I don't generally get scared in movies or TV shows, but definitely my heart beats faster, right? The prey and the predator, the hated and the hunted. Will the hunter succeed? And I'm not talking about the hunter of animals, but the ones where people are going after people. David's circumstance, he's hated and he's hunted. Well, what's his condition? 
David, at the time of the composition, it appears he doesn't even have his 400 men yet. He's alone. He's by himself. He's afraid and he's desperate. Again, listen to the language. Trample, oppress, attack. And not only that, he refers to what? They proudly attack me. There's an arrogance to his pursuers. They believe that they are in the right. There's a pride and an arrogance. They're not hesitating. They're not reluctant. They're aggressive. David is alone. He is afraid. He's desperate. Look with me to verse 5 and 6. All day long they injure my cause. You see, the pressure is relentless all day long. It's deceitful. Interestingly, injure my cause that you, you're hearing me say. In, in some translations, the New American Standard, it's distort. New International and New King James Version, they twist my words. They twist my words. I don't know about you all, but in terms of sticks and stones, you know, may break my bones, but, but words can never hurt me. Well, that's, of course, a lie because words do hurt, right? We are hurt by people's words and we hurt other people with our words. And what is maddeningly frustrating is when our words get twisted, right? Our words get twisted. They, they injure my cause. There's a maliciousness about this. David is, is communicating language that they watch my steps. They've waited. They're waiting for my life. It's almost inescapable. No way out. We see in this text David's circumstances, his condition. Well, let's ask ourselves this question. What, what are your present circumstances? What is your present condition? If you had to take a pen and paper and describe how you're doing right now, how things are going on around you and how things are going on inside you, would you pen something along the lines of Psalm 56? Or, in answer to that question, would you say, fine. What's your circumstance? What's your condition? Fine. Well. Okay. God's word here invites us to look around to look within. What's our circumstance? What's our condition? And once you do that, are you afraid? If so, of what? If so, why? One commentator, I think it was James Montgomery Boyce, the late pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, when he got to this Psalm, he he just picked out the Philadelphia Inquirer and he read a newspaper and he said, you know what, there's a lot of things to be afraid of right now. 
murder, crime, financial instability? Are you afraid? If so, of what and why? You see, David makes it clear that that he has reasons to be afraid. But David also makes it clear that he has good reasons not to be afraid. So let's begin to explore the question as to how that's possible. In other words, who does David trust instead? Who does David trust and why? Well, if you were listening, if you were singing, uh, the answer is before us. He trusts God. He, he has a confidence in God and he has a confidence in the word of God. Um, notice how David talks to himself. We, we see that in some questions he asked at the end of verse four. What can flesh do to me? Look at the end of um, verse 11. What can man do to me? He, he talks to himself. He asks questions, but he also listens to the word of God. Twice he says, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. In God, whose word I trust, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Verse 10, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Here's confidence and courage. Overcoming fear. It's not the non-existence of fear. I think most of us have heard those definitions of courage. It's not the absence of fear. It's in the, it's in the face of fear. No police officer, no military officer, no nurse, no healthcare worker going into a dangerous situation Fear is still there. It's still present. It's it's overcome, though, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I mean, last Sunday when we sang, Though Troubles Assail Us, hymn 95 in the Trinity hymnal, we we sang these words, When Satan assails us to stop up our path and courage all fails us, we triumph by faith. Even courage is not adequate enough. It's going to take faith, trust. And, and, and so David says repeatedly that he trusts God. Now, why? Two big reasons we see in our text. Two big reasons why David trusts God. Um, reason number one, verse eight. You, speaking of God, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The first reason, David is aware of the care of God. David is aware of the care of God. Beautiful imagery here in this word picture. Put my tears in your bottle. Are my tossings, are my tears not in your book? This image grabs our attention. It arrests us. I mean, if God has numbered the hairs on our head, 
We read that in the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry. If God has numbered the hairs on our head, how much more has he counted our tossings and kept our tears? In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Is your tossing and turning in the middle of the night wasted? Are your tears of sadness and sorrow, tears of desperation and despair, are they wasted? No. God not only knows, he counts them and he collects them. He has saved them up. They're not wasted. God knows. God cares. God collects. Are any of you all in a situation right now where the first thing that happens are the tears flow? God keeps them. They're not wasted. He knows. He counts. I mean, counting the hairs on our head, it seems impossible, right? But I bet it could be done, right? I mean, somebody's got to sit still long enough, right? It could be done, but counting tossings, counting tears, Seems like only God could do that. So that's reason number one. He's aware of the care of God. But there's another reason. He knows that God is for him. And we see that in verse, verse 9. It's a, it's a turning point in the psalm. He's so confident that enemies will turn back in the day when he calls to God. This I know that God is for me. Notice he could have just gone right in to say, God is for me. No, he draws attention. This I know that God is for me. We heard earlier from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? The author to the letter to the Hebrews says this in chapter 13. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, Paul is picking up from in Romans from Psalm 56. The author to the Hebrews is picking up Psalm 56. It's in the New Testament. God is for me, David says. Paul says, God is for us. That's a, a really hard thing to believe, isn't it? This I know, David says, God is... Are you kidding me? Don't you know me, God? Don't you know how slack I am? How wavering I am? How fickle I am? David has a confidence, not an arrogance, to say, this I know, God is for me. 
And I want you to see in the second refrain, there's an addition, there's a change. You see, it adds in the Lord. Verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. David is drawing attention that it's not just God, the living and true God, but it's the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the Lord. How does David know that God is for him? God has told him. How do we know that God is for us? Of course, through faith in Christ, because God has told us in his word. So are you aware of the care of God? Do you know that God is for you in Christ? Psalm 56 wraps up in this second bookend is a response of thanksgiving and a recognition. You see, after this renewed refrain of trust in verses 10 and 11, David ends with thanksgiving. What began as a request ends with a response. Let's read it again. In verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David's got a confidence here that if God is for him, then his deliverance is as good as done. It's past tense. It's a done deed. You see, David is expressing faith, as we read in Hebrews now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Has David seen his deliverance? Not yet. Is he confident of his deliverance? Absolutely. You see, he's employing logic. What can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? He's also employing worship. He's enjoying God's presence in life now and he's confident of enjoying God's presence forever. You see, as we sing this psalm with our King, King Jesus, we cry out because of our fear, but we also take comfort in his covenant promises. See, we know what it is to be both afraid and unafraid that tension in Christian life and experience. We know what it is to be both afraid and unafraid while confident that indeed we will walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 56 is bookended by a request to God for his favor, for his mercy, and a response of giving thanks for what God has done as he recognizes what God will do. And what we have seen in the middle is this relationship between fear and faith in the life of a person who trusts God. Now, I don't know if you noticed this as I noticed this, but Psalm 56 is a very personal psalm. Even all of the pronouns, they're mainly first person. There's a few second person in talking about God to God. 
It's very personal. You know, for those of you that are curious, like to eavesdrop, like to step outside a room and listen to a conversation. I mean, come on, we all like to do that, right? We're doing that here. We are entering an intimate conversation that David is having with God. It's very personal for the author, David. It's very personal for the reader, us. I want to end with two thoughts. First, Psalm 56 is a red light. It's a red light. It it asks us to stop and answer two questions. What are we afraid of and who do we trust? What are we afraid of and who do we trust? What can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear. Worship. Stand in awe. Trust God who has the power of life and death. In John 14, 1, Jesus assures his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He continues, as we read at the end of John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. People will pursue you. You will be hated and hunted. You will be alone, afraid, and desperate. Sometimes that's what the trouble looks like. And Jesus says, not only you'll have peace in me, but be of good cheer, be of strong courage, Take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, because Psalm 56 is not just a red light that stops us and forces us to ask questions. Psalm 56 is a green light and it points us to Jesus Christ and it tells us to walk to him, to run to him. You see, Christians overcome their fears by looking not only at the written word of God, the promises of God, but also by looking at the incarnate word of God, God's word in the flesh, of which every promise is yes and amen in Christ. My friends, we know this. Jesus was hated and hunted. See, he's the one that can really sing this song. Though innocent, he was hated and hunted. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane that we heard read last week. He was alone. The others were sleeping. He was desperate. And if I can say this carefully, he had every reason to be afraid. The author to the Hebrews says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and 
tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. My friends, the Christian knows that God cares for him and is for him or her because of Jesus. Jesus was heard because of his reverence and when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not magic. We're praying through faith in Jesus. He was heard. He was delivered. He was rescued despite the hatred and the hunting of sinful and evil men. My friends, when we are afraid, may we all trust in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we have a hard time living in the tension and paradox of the Christian life. But we thank you for this example in your word where we can say we are afraid and we are not afraid. Oh God, we cry out to you that we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, help us in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of a desperate condition. Help us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and follow him. For we pray in his name. Amen.